want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I want to discuss how the government shutdowns to prevent the spread of COVID-19 could cause an economic depression. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Your five-star ratings and short one to two sentence reviews help me to grow the podcast audience. Those ratings and reviews are very, seen very favorably in the algorithms for the different podcast services. If you could simply leave me a rating or review, I would appreciate that because that's a way that you can support this podcast without spending any money. Thank you for your support. So let's dive in. Today we're talking about the economic contagion from COVID-19, not the health contagion from COVID-19. COVID-19 is the disease caused by the coronavirus that the world has been exposed to over the course of the last few months. However, the world has also been exposed to an economic contagion. We're talking about the second order effects today of the government shutting down parts of the economy in order to contain the spread of the virus. This health crisis is important for the government to help deal with. People are dying out there each and every day from a virus that's new and novel, and our health system is trying to adapt. So the government is responding in a way that they believe they can do so to help prevent the spread. And the main way to do that is called social distancing. Social distancing is the new key phrase. If you had to pick a word of the year, I'm assuming it's, or phrase of the year, I'm assuming it's going to be social distancing this year, assuming coronavirus isn't the one that wins. And what happens though, is that by implementing social distancing on a mandated government scale, we're causing forced closure of businesses, forced layoffs of employees, and massive losses in wealth on a real-time basis. Each and every week, the unemployment reports are coming out in the United States, and we're seeing continued massive losses in millions of jobs each and every week. The first massive report was a loss of over 3 million jobs in the United States in a single week. The second report had 6.6 million additional jobs lost. That was 10 million jobs lost in the first two weeks of the coronavirus shutdown in the United States. In the third week, an additional 6.6 million jobs were lost, such that there were over 16 million jobs lost in the first three weeks of the mandated government shutdown of non-essential businesses in the United States. For clarity, 16.6 million people is approximately 10% of the United States working population. 
Therefore, in three weeks, the unemployment rate rose 10%. Not rose to 10%, but rose 10%. Since we started at an unemployment rate of about 3.5%, you're talking about 13.5% unemployment in the United States today as I'm recording this podcast on April 11th. This podcast is going to be released about two weeks from now, and you're going to see it come out then. And I wonder how many additional jobs have been lost in those to that two-week time frame. We'll be looking at five weeks of job loss data at that point, and you can do the math yourself to see how much the job losses are impacting the economy. For the United States, it's pretty simple math. About every 1.6 million people is an additional 1% unemployment rate. And that's why I talked about there being about 16 million is about a 10 million or 10% unemployment rate addition. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the first order effect of the government shutdown is that these layoffs are occurring. Businesses are shut down. And if a business is shut down, they are unable to bring in revenue. And as we talked about in the last podcast, we talked about the effects that investors are considering in how they have to think about the bimodal distribution of potential returns. But here I'm talking about the economy. I'm talking about instead of looking at a single company, let's talk about the macro picture. Let's talk about what could happen if these government shutdowns last too long. Because not only have people caught a disease, but the world economy has caught the flu, and it's unlikely to go away once COVID-19 is fully under control. You see, the problem with the flu is that it hits like a truck initially, and it knocks you down for a few days. But then for weeks after that period, you're likely to feel tired and exhausted. This is the recovery period. A flu is not simply the first two to three days where you're down on your back and you're hardly able to get out of bed. The flu is also the effect after that period. Your body has to fight intensely against the flu during the first few days in order to survive because the flu is such a strong disease that you have to fight against. But it means that you use up so many resources of your body. And a lot of times during that period, you're not hungry, you're not wanting to eat, so you're not bringing in additional resources. And so in the following weeks, you're likely to feel tired and exhausted. And I think this metaphor is particularly apt for how we should think about this economic contagion that we are seeing in the market today. You see, while the coronavirus doesn't cause the flu, they are quite different diseases. It has caused a global shutdown of the economy. Global trade is massively impaired due to the borders being closed. The domestic economy is impaired due to shelter-in-place orders and government-mandated closure of non-essential businesses. Right now, we're in the phase of the economic flu, where the economy feels like it's been hit by a truck. This phase will be relatively short. This is what people are talking about when they say, okay, well, once the shutdown's over, we can start to recover. And the shutdown so far has been about a month. And we're thinking it might be an additional three weeks, four weeks, maybe another month or two. You could be looking at two months of government shutdown, potentially on the longer end, three months of government shutdown or more. 
Well, if we think about our flu metaphor, what does that mean? Well, in the flu, you have about two days of really bad, you're down and out symptoms. But you have about two weeks, about seven times longer of tiredness and exhaustion as you try and recover. So think about what that would mean if the same sort of metaphor occurred with our economy. If we only experience two months of being shut down, it's likely we might experience 14 months of recovery period where the economy is slow and sluggish because so many resources have been gobbled up fighting the coronavirus and the wealth and resources associated with that have been eliminated during that time period. And with all these businesses shut down, new wealth is not being created. You see, wealth in the economy isn't some tangible good, isn't some physical thing. Wealth is trade. In a capital free market economy, which we have quite um, bastardization of today, it's important to realize that what happens is wealth is created when any two people make an economic transaction. When I do a service for you, if I go and mow your lawn, then I have created wealth in that transaction. I've created money because now I've provided a service and I've done a good that didn't exist before. If you come and build a desk for me, you're creating something that didn't exist before. You're adding value to the economy. And that extra added value is what the wealth of the world is. The wealth of the world is the sum total of all of the little pieces of added value that we do every single day to improve the lives of others. So when you think about the economy, if you shut down trade, if you prevent businesses from being open, if you prevent employees from going to work, if you force employees to be laid off, you've not simply caused a temporary problem. You've permanently impaired the amount of wealth that would be created during that period. So if we have a government shutdown for two months, during those two months, we are permanently removing two months of wealth production from the economy for each and every worker that's not allowed to work. And that has a massive effects, and it's not simply short term. The problem is, is that that wealth is used. The economy is built and the economy is run on the assumption that that wealth is being created each and every day. So if you have 60 days of no wealth creation, all of that money is lost. That money can no longer be used to pay the mortgage payment. That money is no longer used to buy a new car. That money is no longer used to pay utility payments. That money is no longer used to buy a nice gift for your spouse. And that money is no longer used to spend money on your children or furnish your house or go to get a haircut. Money is the exchange mechanism by which we produce value for others. And we take credit for that. Whenever value stops being created, wealth starts being destroyed. And it can quickly have a snowball effect. Because the money that I use to go get my haircut comes from the ability for me to go into work and earn a living. If I'm unable to earn money from my job, then I can't spend my money to go get a haircut. 
And if I can't spend my money to go get a haircut, then the hairdresser can't spend their money on paying someone to mow their lawn. And then the person that's mowing the lawns can't spend money to pay the mortgage payment. And if they can't pay their mortgage payment, then the bank is unable to support that mortgage. And then the person loses their house. And now that they've lost their house, people are no longer spending money to fill that house with stuff. And then the carpenter loses their job. And then it goes back and then the hairdresser loses their job. All these pieces are interconnected. You can't simply close restaurants for two months and not have these multiplying effects over time. Those 16 million people who have lost their job in three weeks represent greater job losses than the entire Great Recession's job loss. We peaked at around 10% of unemployment in the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009 in the United States. In three weeks, we have exceeded the unemployment rate that we saw during an 18 to 24-month recession in the United States. That's massive. The Great Recession was the biggest recession in the United States since the Great Depression, and we've already exceeded it in three weeks of job losses. This is not sustainable, and that's what I'm trying to convince you of in this podcast. The problem with these government shutdowns is we are creating permanent job losses, not temporary job losses. That's not to say that I expect all 16 million jobs that have been lost are permanent. But it would be foolish to assume that all 16 million job losses are temporary. During this sort of crisis, businesses have to make decisions that think about their long-term future. The first thing they're going to do is try and lay off workers that they didn't need or didn't want in non-good times. They might lay off the people that in a normal recession weren't performing as well, or they might pay off the high income earners, or they might lay off the low experienced workers or some combination thereof. Or they might just lay off people randomly because it's hard for them to choose between their low number of employees. The problem is, As the recession continues, they have to start making layoffs of the people they want to keep. And once you're forced to lay off people that you would like to keep, those are the people you're unlikely to be able to get back in the future. Those are real permanent job losses. When you make an initial job loss at the very beginning of a recession, you're saying, hey, we got to cut back. We need to save a little money. That's not as big of an issue. Those are temporary. It means when the economy gets better, you're going to hire those people again. What we've done with this shutdown is we forced companies to transition all the way to laying off their good people, laying off their people they want to keep, laying off everyone simply to survive because the shutdown has prevented them from earning any revenue. If you have no revenues, then the amount of expense you can support is zero. So the only thing you can do is cut all of your expenses as rapidly as possible. And what that does is it has this massive shock effect on the economy because not only are you not bringing in the money to pay your employees, but every single one of your employees no longer has the money to spend at all the businesses that they like to go to. All the things that they do, all their mortgage payments, all their car payments, all of their luxury shopping, all the little things they do to make themselves feel good. That cup of coffee in the morning, Each of these things are now impacted to a large negative degree. And this is the concern when you make this large change. Let's go back to that 16 million people. 
If 95% of those people get their jobs back in a month when the government reopens it four weeks from today, then that's not a huge deal. Yes, you still have you know, half a million of people lost their job or 800,000 people lost their job on more permanent of a basis. But that's more of a normal recessionary problem. But what happens if 30% of those people or 50% of those people don't get their job back right away? What if the restaurants open and no one goes to them because they're still scared about the coronavirus? What if the restaurants don't open again at all because the business owners went bankrupt trying to float their mortgage payments for two months without any revenue? Well, if you have 8 million permanent job losses until new businesses can be created to start up and new job incentives are created in the future because there's new demand, well, now you have permanent unemployment increases that can only be recovered in a long, slow recovery like we experienced from 2009 through 2013, 2014, 2015. I mean, it was almost even in 2019 that I was still hearing about people recovering from the Great Recession. That's 10 years later. The problem becomes how many of these job losses are permanent? And it's an answer we will never know. We're not going to be able to know in advance, and we're not going to be able to know how many weeks this government shutdown can occur until we keep, we create catastrophic losses in the economy that cannot be recovered. We don't know if the local restaurant mom and pop place that you like to eat at will be shut down permanently after seven weeks, or will it take eight weeks of being shut down that they won't be able to open again? Maybe they can survive 10 weeks, but they can't survive 12. We don't know where the tipping point is, and every business will be different. The problem will be is that the tipping point exists. And once those small businesses close, the job losses associated with them are permanent. And for every permanent job loss you're gonna, of a business that closes, you're going to see 10 to 20% additional permanent job losses from the lost demand that those people don't create anymore. Now, the United States government has passed the CARES Act, where they're giving very high amounts of unemployment relief to newly unemployed people for four months of $600 a week or $2,400 a month of additional income in addition to their state's unemployment income. This is a huge way to prevent the temporary demand loss caused by those laid-off employees. This means that when the businesses are allowed to open again, you still have those 16 million people able to spend some money at local businesses. But this is still likely to be less money than they were normally earning. And anyone who loses a job is unlikely to still spend the money the same way that they were when they had a job. They're going to be more conservative. They're going to start saving more. They're going to start deleveraging because it's the only rational way to survive in the face of no further income. Even with the assurance of six months or nine months of enhanced unemployment benefits, there's going to be an additional level of fear and stress in that family as they try to make ends meet off of a lowered income. This has second and third order effects that affect the rest of the economy. And again, the problem is is the tipping point. How many job losses can the United States sustain before they dip into a recession versus a depression? We're already in a recession. The question is, do we reach a depression? And depression is sustained 
losses for a long period of time that is very difficult to come out of. Most caveats around a depression would say job loss would be GDP declines of over 10%. We already have GDP decline projections for the Q2 2020 of over 10%. Some are projecting 20%, 30% declines in GDP during that quarter. Now, if it's just a single quarter and we bounce back in Q3 and Q4, maybe it's not so bad. But again, I'm concerned that people are underestimating the effect of what can happen when you have 16 million people lose their jobs. And I believe that a higher percentage of those jobs than people expect are permanent. If I had to guess, at least 20% of those job losses are permanent and won't be rehired as soon as the shutdown is over. That's what I mean by permanent. Not that they won't be able to find new jobs eventually, but that after the shutdown is over in May or in June and the businesses that laid them off they don't rehire them again. That's what I consider permanent. That the business that they laid them off in June 1st sends out an offer to their employees that they laid off, but they only send it back to 80%, the top 80% performers, or they only send it back to the top 50% performers. Or the restaurant that hired off, that laid off eight waiters and 10 sh- like back office staff only hires back four waiters and five back office staff. They only need one chef instead of two. That's a permanent job loss, what I'm saying. So if you have 16 million people lose their job and only 10 million of them get to go back to work in June, that is a massive problem. And we're not even done getting started. I have no idea sitting here today on April 11th how many job losses will occur by the time this show is released on, I believe, April 26th. Or maybe it's April 2019th. But yeah, April 26th. So we're going to have two additional reports on the 16th and the 23rd of April. In two more weeks, are we going to be over 20 million job losses? I think the answer is yes. That's crazy. What if we're over 25 million job losses? Or over 30 million job losses? Now, I would say it's unlikely we're over 30 million, which is two additional weeks. We'd need to, again, average over 6 or 7 million losses a week during those next two weeks, and I think that's unlikely, but I have no idea. But if we're at 25 million jobs lost in five weeks due to a government shutdown, how long can that be sustained? I would argue you're already close to the tipping point. The government needs to seriously consider opening the economy back up, doing whatever they need to to do that, producing masks and building new hospitals, um, requiring extreme social distancing measures so that restaurants can open but only at half capacity, some measures to still keep people safe, but to allow the economy to open. Otherwise, we're likely to see a massive depression. And it's important to consider that a depression, an economic depression, has second and third order effects on its own. People die when they lose their jobs. Crime increases. There's additional violence in the world. Additional suicides in the world. People take their lives after losing their job. People harm others when they lose their job and they don't have money. You're going to have an increased um, set of violence from gang violence. You're going to have increased drug addictions, increased alcohol addictions, more car accidents as people uh, drink and drive more. There's substantial evidence that the economic harm creates physical and 
long-lasting harm, and increased deaths. So a depression is likely to cause more deaths than the coronavirus will. We need to avoid the re- a depression, but it's okay to accept a temporary recession to deal with this. The important thing is we need to understand where that line is, and we're not going to be able to. The government just needs to be clear and focused on opening us up as soon as we can to prevent this rolling snowball of negative effects. You see, the problem is not this initial hit, this initial economic flu, where for two months we're all stuck in our houses, we can't spend money, we can't work. That's not the problem. The problem is this long period of recovery. And if we're not careful, it's not going to be a recovery. It's going to be a depression. You see, the small business failures that we would be likely to see if this continues are going to be caused because they're unable to operate. Not every business is closed, but the ones that are closed are usually smaller businesses that can't deal with a prolonged period of zero revenues. Restaurants may close permanently, hair salons, dentist offices, your local auto repair shop. Gas stations may fail. No one's out buying gas if they're not driving. Each of these businesses is cumulatively a large part of the employment for individual cities and towns, yet we can expect a potential failure of these businesses at an alarming rate if the shutdown continues for too long. Large businesses will lay off employees for longer than the shutdown period. Movie theaters may go bankrupt. Cruise lines will be restructured. Air travel may be impaired for over a year. That means lost stewardesses, lost pilot jobs, lost air traffic control jobs. The automotive industry is likely to be impacted by reduced consumer income for a long time. The important thing to realize is there's a time limit to this shutdown. If it continues past a certain date, a date which we cannot know where the line is in advance, the economy could dive into a recession. The line between recession and depression is blurry, and the tipping point is the failure of small businesses that cannot simply be restarted after the shutdown is lifted. Right now, you're probably hearing positive news about the decline in COVID-19 coronavirus cases in the United States. We're already seeing a glimmer of that on April 11th during this recording. And that's going to be massively in the news as the shutdown works to contain the health contagion. But the problem is, is the shutdown's also creating an underlying economic contagion. In summary, investors today are likely underestimating the second order effects of the coronavirus shutdown. Layoffs and bankruptcies will have long-lasting negative effects on the economy. And if the number of layoffs and bankruptcies gets too high, the economy will likely exceed a simple recession and enter a medium-term depression. This is an unacceptable outcome. For reference, I made a lot of this content in thinking about and considering an article that was written by Joshua Kinnon, considering the question, what price should we pay to fight COVID-19? I will link to that article in the show notes, and I think it's worth a read if you want to expand on the information I covered in this show. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 73. Finally, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you have gained value from today's content, please consider supporting the show financially as a patron. 
the lowest level of support that I ask is simply a dollar per show. That's $5 a month, and you can become a patron at DIYinvesting.org slash P-A-T-R-O-N. You'll receive bonus content in focusing and access to my individual stock write-ups talking about business quality. Your financial support is what allows me to continue creating this free investing content without any advertisements. And I hope that I'm providing at least a dollar per show worth of value, because I know you're spending your time with me. You're spending over 30 minutes a podcast typically with me, and I hope that that's adding value to your life. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.